Yay, we're in LA together. Steph, you're in my home in LA. Welcome. Thank you. I am in your home and it's the first time we have recorded face-to-face. I know. It's a little weird that I it like it. It is weird. Yeah. I have to put on clothes. I know. It's weird. <laughs> no more <laughs> podcasting in the nude. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, this week uh, you talked to Becky, mm-hmm. who is a ceramicist and a car hunter, which sounds like a very creative and strange job. One that I honestly never heard of before, but it does make perfect sense that people do it. And when I was listening to this episode, I felt like it was super interesting because you talked about with Becky, a fear of getting laid off and what that would mean for you. And then, you know, scan forward to right now. And this is what has happened. I've been laid off. You've been laid off. Yeah, it's the truth. And how does it feel? I mean, when you were talking to Becky, you were you sounded fearful of this happening. And I think that's how most people would feel. But having been in it and it happening to you, what what is that reality? Yeah, it's funny. I think for me, being here on a visa, I felt very tied to my job and the thought of losing it and having to figure out like, how do I stay here and the visa? And there, there was so much anxiety around that of losing, you know, being in the States or being in LA and or finding other work and dealing with the visa thing again that I didn't, I couldn't see w- what the alternative would be. And then just before Christmas, I got laid off from work, which was a shock. But simultaneously, as it was happening, literally as it was happening, I felt this like weight lift off my shoulders and yes. I felt this relief. And my immediate response was like, oh, well, I'm leaving and I'm going traveling and I'm taking a break. And it's funny because my fear was, oh my God, I, I wouldn't be able to be here anymore and how can I stay? And then when it happened, my immediate response was to leave and go travel and like kind of be like, oh, well... I don't know, maybe it's not that important being here and I want to do something else. So it kind of blows me away. The shackles are off. The shackles are off and I'm really excited and I feel lucky to have been laid off because I don't think I would have had the balls to do it myself. Yes. Yeah. I mean, and that's a, a very similar reaction to what Becky talks about in her interview it's that decision being forced on you that ultimately turns out to be really great. Yeah, and I think I felt this for sure, and Becky talks about it too. So Becky worked at Ford for a really long time and in a very secure position where you know she owned a home really young, she earned a good salary, and you know she had all the benefits for working for such a big company. Um, but she wasn't happy, and she knew that. And there was something on the side that she always did, which was ceramics, but she never envision that being how she lived her life and then when she got laid off and moved to LA and things happened and now she has a completely different lifestyle and it's a lot less secure financially but she's like over the moon about it and I sort of felt that at work too you know I worked there for a few years and by the end I was like you know I'm not in this anymore and I don't love it um but you get used to that security and the comfort and the benefits that come with it Mm. Yeah. So now traveling, and who knows what will happen in the next Literally six have no idea. It's no very idea. exciting. I know, and Bird's going to, I mean, Summer Bird will hit the road with me. Yeah, and we'll Bird start, on the Road. Bird on the Road, 
and we'll see you know what who we meet along the way but for now let's listen to becky I think what really drew me to you was the car stuff. You're a car hunter. Yes. Is that what you call it? Yeah, that's what I call it. That's what you call it. And are you working now specifically with Mercedes or? I worked for seven years finding vintage Mercedes for a restoration shop in Glendale, California. And I just kind of phased out of that, but I'm still, I, all along I've been, you know, finding any car for anyone, but I have a specific vast knowledge in vintage Mercedes from the seventies and eighties. But I, I love to research new cars, like old cars, whatever car people want me to find, I end up like figuring out like why they should or shouldn't buy it. I can talk them out of it if it's a bad idea. Why? What's a bad idea? Uh, if they have like a $5,000 budget and they want like a old BMW, I'll probably say you really shouldn't do that if you have no money for repairs. Like it's it's kind of stupid to go down that path unless you're like someone who works on cars or has someone who can help you work on it because it's just a money pit. So there's a lot of bad ideas and there's also people who know nothing about cars that have no idea where to start and I can help like coerce them into a, a direction that makes sense for them. That's funny, actually, not that long ago, I did have a brief moment of fantasization of like, oh, maybe I just get into like doing up old cars. <laughs> it just sounded so fun. <laughs> and then someone was like, you know, that's really expensive. I was like, oh, I guess I never thought of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, having, if you have a driveway or a garage and you can store something in there and work on it whenever you can, that's great. You gotta have the space. Yeah. But yeah, it can be expensive depending on the kind of car. It's such a unique path. It's a very weird path. I did a choose your own adventure kind of thing. So where did it begin? What were the choices? Uh, I went to mechanical engineering school in upstate New York. Then I met someone who designed Cadillacs in Detroit and he showed me around Detroit and I was like, I could live here and I loved cars from early age. And so I moved to Detroit. I worked at a software company at Ford for like nine, 10 years as uh, tech support for the software and I saw cars being built. I worked in a cubicle for forever and every day I was like, this is not me. Like I love seeing cars being built. It's, it was amazing. Like the, I saw the coolest things and met amazing people, super smart people. Um, but eventually it was just like, I was like this office chatter, like I can't handle it. Like this is not me. And I was doing ceramics all from high school in 1994, like up till now, always in the background. And I never thought it would be like a full-time thing ever. So I was working at Ford and then I met someone in LA who restored vintage Mercedes and we both liked cars a lot. And eventually he asked me if I would start finding his cars, you know, online across the country. And I did that while I was working at Ford and then I got laid off from my stable job, which I knew was eventually gonna happen. It wasn't in like a huge round of layoffs or anything, but I, I made it through a lot of rounds of layoffs, God. which was stressful. Yeah. Uh, but once I finally got laid off, um, I actually got another job offer at GM through the software company and I turned it down because I was like, I can't, I can't do what I'm doing anymore. 
like I have to make a change. So I moved to LA to be a car hunter full time, which was so random. That's so random. Can we just pause at that moment yeah. for a second? You're being laid off, yeah. which is for me a terrifying idea. Well, yes. Yeah. Yours is connected with a visa. That's right. different. That is different. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Was it a sort of relief? Uh, an excuse to like do something different? It was a surprise. It was terrifying for about half a day. And then I was so excited because I was on un unemployment for a while. I also owned a condo in Detroit. I had been wanting to move desperately forever. And you can't really short sell your place unless you have a hardship. And my hardship was I got laid off. So the stars basically aligned. All of that happened within, like I got laid off. And I think a, within a year later, I was living here. It all kind of, I traveled around a bunch while I was unemployed trying to figure out where I might want to live. But when it came down to it, it made so much sense. I already had a job here in LA. So I was like, I should just do it. And I, I never looked back. I mean, it, it all, from the time I decided to move to LA in February, I lived here in May. Mm -hmm. So it was really quick, sold my place, got out, moved here had a job already. I feel like LA is the kind of city where if you do not have a job, it's very difficult. But I already had one, so I hit the ground running. Like and I, this job was working for this guy, finding cars for him. Yeah, and I started, I worked in the office as well, um, doing all kinds of, you know, financial stuff, client relations. Yeah. I did, I was the kitchen sink. I kind of like yeah. picked up the slack of whatever was going on. I found parts, rare parts online. I found, you know, whatever. Whatever he needed, I handled it, and I worked for him for a long time. But then, I don't know if you still want to pause right there. Well, I, I'm just kind of thinking in terms of going from a place like Ford, which I assume has the stability, like, I'm talking about, like, insurance, like, I had it all. I, I, I owned a place. Yeah. I had an adult job. I was, I was the quote-unquote rich friend of all my... I would buy dinner. Like, I was, like... You know, people in Detroit, like, not a lot of... All my friends were artists. I didn't have a ton of engineering friends because it's not who I am, really. It's part of me, but it's not the kind of person I am. So I went from a lifestyle that was very American cookie-cutter, what everybody strives to do. I mean, I owned my place at 23. Wow. Like, everything was just done. I have basically <laughs> regressed as I've gotten older into a lifestyle that is not stable at all, that's totally dependent on me and what I produce and what I do and what I, how I network, like it's all on my shoulders. And I had the most stable lifestyle, which was fine for a while. It was fun, I had a good time in Detroit, but I'm so much happier now than I've ever been. Wow. <laughs> I'm trying to think about it in terms of like, where is that line? People say if you earn a certain amount of money, then the happiness factor doesn't increase if you earn more. It doesn't. So it's as long as you're really, like, really, if you're covering, like, your basics, that's, that's all you need. It really is. Even coming from a place where you kind of could live in a way where you could spend your money doing whatnot. Yeah. Do you miss that, or? Um, no, I mean, I remember I only got X amount of vacation days when I worked at Ford and I used to circle them in red on my calendar and it was like, where can I go to get out of this place? Like, 
where can I go on vacation for this long weekend? Or like every, I was just thinking anywhere but here, even though I loved my life, I was just like, get me out of here. I need to travel. And now that I'm here, and when I was searching for Mercedes more full-time, I worked from anywhere. So I would just travel or, I love LA so much, I don't want to get out of it. Like when I have to leave, I'm always like, oh, I kind of, I don't want to leave my home. <laughs> like I love, I love being here. So no, I, I feel like having an open timeline really suits me. And I didn't like being confined to like what days they said I got off, even if it was like three weeks vacation a year, which is uh, not a lot at all. But in America, it's, oh, you have three whole weeks. Yeah, that blows my mind. But in Europe, you know, you get a couple yeah. months or something. So I'm so much more happy. And, and yeah, I almost never know where the money is coming from these days, but somehow I make it work. That's amazing. Do you ever think like 10 years ahead? No, I'm not a five-year plan girl. Like I never have been. When, when I've been asked that in college, they ask you, where would you like to be in five years? And, or in a job interview, they ask you. Or when you're working at Ford and they're like, where do you see yourself in the company? I have never had an answer and I don't think that way. I'm very now because I know we don't know how long we have ahead of us. I'm just going to do now. Is that a legitimate thought you have? Like, you like, any day. Oh, yeah. I mean... Shit could hit the fan. Yeah. And, <laughs> well, any... People can die at any moment from, like, choking on a... Anything. So, like, yeah, I'm always very... I've always been very now-focused or, like, the, the very short-term. I have goals, but they're very immediate. They're very within the next couple months. I'm not a big-picture, long-term... I feel like sometimes those things never happen or I just don't care enough to like say like, I don't know. I, I've always wondered if that was a detriment to me that I didn't have like a long-term big goal, but I seem to reach whatever goal in the short term that I have and I'm happy. So I don't, I, I was just I, thinking that, it, yeah, whether it's a detriment or not. And I think I have the I guess the not the flip side. I I definitely am goal oriented. Now that I feel like I've sort of achieved some goals that I had when I was younger, there there aren't any goals sort of on the horizon, and maybe it forces forces me to make stuff up that isn't necessarily something I'm working towards. But I feel almost stuck not having something to look forward to. You know, maybe it is like I need to take a little leaf out of your book and be like. What are short-term goals and 10 years ahead seems kind of outrageous to think about. Well, and if you like what you're currently doing, that's the thing. If you aren't happy with what you currently are doing, of course you should be thinking of like, how can I get myself into a situation where I love what I'm doing with my life? Because I don't feel like work should be a thing that you put up with to be able to afford the things you like doing. Because that's how I lived for 10, 11 years in Detroit, I was doing something that made sense financially so that I could afford to do ceramics four nights a week after work. So I could afford to travel on those few vacation days to the places I wanted to go. But now I don't have any money, but I'm at the ceramics studio now five days a week and I teach ceramics and uh, I find cars for people whenever like my life is one big wave and it, it, like it's not confined anymore and I'm so much happier 
doing that as my everyday. Like I love cars. The fact that I get to research cars and help people get like a better deal or get a reliable vehicle. That's like, that's so fun for me. And it's a job yeah. that I, that my friend who hired me helped me create this lifestyle and being a ceramicist full time. I didn't think my body could ever handle it. I thought that my arms or my back would give out and somehow it's, I'm still going, you know, 23 years later wow. and, but I'm doing it more than ever. Wow. So, okay. I don't want to like scare you or depress you in any way, but this is again, me just freaking out about like, what about the future? And when you look at like the grand scheme of things in a lifetime, a potential lifetime, if you kind of live it to the end, yeah. where I am in my life now in my early thirties, there's so much ahead. And I guess I freak myself out way too much thinking, oh shit, what am I going to do in 20, 30, 40 years? Like, oh, like retirement? Yeah, just in general. Like, am I going to be doing this? It makes no sense. It blows my mind. And I feel like the fact that I'm even thinking about this stuff is like a detriment to my own like well-being. But then I think about your scenario. I'm like, yeah, what if you're, you couldn't do ceramics anymore? Like you're too tired or your body couldn't handle it. And then... What if cars don't exist anymore? Like, what? <laughs> what then? Cars are going to exist. We're way too selfish. and uh, You think cars yeah. are going to be around in like 30 years? They'll be self-driving. Right. They'll be automated, but like people love their space and people love going where they want to go when they want to go there. I think they'll still exist in some form. They may all be smart cars or electric tiny cars, but I, I think Americans are way too selfish and want their space and autonomy. I don't think they're going away. Do you think the Peterson Museum is going to have like Toyota Corollas in there from like 1994? <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually, they probably will. Yeah. I mean, the whole self-driving car thing for me is so hard to imagine. Like at a point where that's the only thing that exists. I know, it's freaky. I'm already seeing it. I mean, I have friends with Teslas and even my friend bought a brand new Honda Civic that has brake assist that if a car slows down in front of him and he doesn't see it, his car will break for him to a stop so that he doesn't crash. If he veers over the line, it will correct his steering. If it's if it sees you just veering, not like turning to avoid something, but like it will correct your steering and beep at you. It's kind of create. It's coming. Wow. It's here, <laughs> but it's not like I don't trust it. So then taking it back, like all the way back. And cars and how how did that path even come about my dad always took me to car shows when I was growing up and basically like my dad's an environmental engineer so I became an engineer I'm, I did whatever he did I collected stamps and knives like he did like awesome. whatever he does I have kind of done That's we, so always, cute. <laughs> we, we had a 49 Buick when I was growing up that I loved and yeah he always took us to car shows and when I was in engineering school I was like nothing is interesting to me I don't know what career path I'm going to take with this at all I don't want to do HVAC I don't want to um, it's a heating ventilation oh. air conditioning design like in buildings okay. uh, that's one way to go there's it was limitless but it was also boring and then I took a automotive engineering elective senior year and was like oh, this has been the only fun class besides ceramics that I've taken. And, and then when I met 
somebody who was in the auto industry, I was like, oh, well, this is it. This is the only thing I want to do. I know when I know it. I'm not a very wishy-washy person. Mm -hmm. So when something I like presents itself, whether it's a couch or a job, I just do it. So it was the only thing. Once I realized I could work in the auto industry, I was like, this is super interesting to me. But I never grew up thinking I would do that. It just kind of presented itself at the exact 11th hour senior year of engineering. And then I did everything I could to find a job in Detroit. Was there something that happened recently that you, you did that exact same thing? Like, yep, I like it, I'm getting it, we're doing it. Probably everything that's happened recently with ceramics for me, because I found a new studio in Pasadena to be a member at, and as soon as like I became a member, I could be there 24-7, and they asked me if I wanted to teach, and I was like, yeah, I want to, but I always thought I needed a teaching certificate or past teaching experience, and they trusted me to teach, and now I'm in my third session of teaching, and they keep asking me to teach more and uh, they also asked me to TA an art center class that's taught at our studio that's amazing and so I I keep learning more by teaching but I was like of course yes I want to do this there's no question I get to be at the studio more I get to help people I've always been forcing my ideas on other people in the studio (laughs) I have like building an army yeah just like Whenever someone could be doing something more efficiently or there's a skill they're lacking, I'm always, I try to be helpful, pushy, but helpful and say, you know, if you did it this way, maybe it would be easier for you. And then they try it and sometimes it is easier for them. So I feel like I was a born teacher or at least pusher of ideas forever. So it's really cool to get to teach a class. It makes a lot of sense for my brain. It's a place to put all that energy into helping people do the thing I love most. What, what is it about ceramics? I mean, they say it's super zen. It's really in right now. It's like super popular. Everyone I know wants to take a ceramics I mean, it class. It is very fun. Or is, enjoy it. <laughs> or is, you've done it? I, I did like a four week intro thing. Oh, awesome. It was super fun. Yeah, it's fun. It's frustrating in the beginning. <laughs> yeah. It's really tough to yeah. get. And some people it takes like a year to like really get a, the hang of it. I don't know why I took to it. I don't have a, I don't have a lot of ideas when it comes to like illustration or drawing or even hand building with clay. Like I my hands can never get out the ideas that I have or I don't have specific ideas. So when I sit down at a wheel with clay, it becomes whatever it's supposed to be. Sometimes I don't even I don't know the shape of my vases usually. I don't have a wow. and they just become what they are. I feel like it, it's more spontaneous. I'm good at making plans, but not planning out art necessarily. Uh, it just works with my brain better. Do you feel like the shapes have any correlation to like what's happening in your life at that time? I don't know. I don't know. I've gone through a wavy period back in Detroit, <laughs> and and my the ceramics director at that studio was was looking at my work at the time, and he's like, anybody could make those. They don't really take any skill. And I immediately stopped making that That's series. Rough. It was rough. I think he was getting older and losing his filter. and But he was right. I mean, I was I was taking a super easy path. It was, it was an artistic statement, for sure. 
that I was following for like a year, but I got right out of it. I mean, now that I'm doing it more professionally and selling to stores, I used to never follow other ceramicists online. I used to like keep blinders on. I didn't want to be influenced by anyone so that no one could think I was trying to copy their work. It just came out of my brain. Now I follow so many amazing ceramicists, but I'm very careful never to copy their forms. I mean, there were forms I was making for years in Detroit, but when I moved here, there were people that had their brand and it was similar and I stepped away from those forms immediately because I never want to be accused of copying anyone's anything, especially art, because it's so personal. I, I know it's hard, everything's been done and sometimes similar brains come out with similar ideas and it's impossible to be different than everyone, but I do my best to just follow what I'm feeling or, or if I'm going to be influenced by something, let it be something that is from like 100 BC, like ancient ceramics. And it also forces me to like push what I'm doing to a higher level that I might not have been thinking of because, and also seeing sick, sick work that's amazing that I'm like, I'm not at that level, why am I not there? So the, those are like my goals. When I see something that is like so out of this world and I'm like, there's no reason I shouldn't be making work like that. Like I've got to push what I'm, I'm doing till I feel that way when I'm looking at my pieces. I try not to spread myself too thin and I've also been doing a lot of custom orders. I always get people contacting me. Instagram is super handy for that. They, people see your work from anywhere and ask if you, you can do custom orders. I've done custom latte bowls for a coffee shop in Hollywood, oh, cool. Blackwood Coffee. I've been contacted by numerous coffee shops to make huge amount of like work, but I, I feel like there's a fine line be between being an artist and being a manufacturer. And the studio I throw at doesn't have the capacity for me to throw 400 pieces for a new coffee shop. And also if a place is not my vibe, I might back away. Or if they want me to make something that is either ripping off another artist or not in my style, I decline. So I don't take everything that's coming my way, even though this is what pays my bills now. Yeah. I'm still discerning because I I know that I won't have any fun doing it. I have to love the company. I have to love what they're doing. They have to respect my work and be willing to like make compromises and make sure it looks like something I would have made anyhow. What about that line between fun and work? In the context of my job, there, there are obviously elements of both. And I don't know, it's hard for me to imagine a job that's just only fun. It definitely becomes work when I do an order of like a hundred. Right now I'm doing a hundred whiskey cups for Third Man Records in Nashville. And I have friends that work there. I love their label. I love that they wanted to, you know, use my work and that we collaborated on something that I love. But when it's so many it challenges me, which is great. It makes me see that I can throw 28 pieces in a day, and I used to think eight was a lot. So <laughs> I've, That's it, nuts. it's definitely like skyrocketed my pr production. 
I like making whatever I want to make and then people just buy it. That's the dream as a ceramicist is that you make whatever you like and people like it enough, they just purchase it. And then you did no work. Like you didn't have to sell yourself, you didn't have to compromise, you didn't, but hey, I love the custom orders when they're cool stuff. I didn't even think of making it. I, I like collaborations in general. I have a collaboration with my friend, Aidy Goodrich. She's a set designer and all around uh, creative tornado and have done two um, sets of collaborations where she paints my ceramics and cool. they're things that never would ever have existed if it, we didn't do it together. So I love when things turn out new and different because two people came together to make something or a group of people. I know my work well enough that if it's going to be too much of a headache, I'll turn it down. Like if it's going to make me unhappy, even thinking about doing the order, I won't do it. Wow. But if I'm excited about it, I know that I can get through it. When you, you can approach projects that way where it's not driven by finance, do you ever get to this point where you're like, oh, I can continue going, doing what I'm doing or I can go down the route where I get a manufacturer and I start doing big production stuff which means more money, which means X, Y, Z, but it might mean compromising your creative freedom or... I'm a real purist when it comes to my ceramics. I, one, I can't even imagine hiring an assistant to throw my forms. The only thing I can imagine farming out is someone shipping my stuff. I can't imagine having employees. I'm so, like, focused on making the work and having it be me who created it 100% through and through, and that might be to my detriment sometimes because I know I'm sure I could make more money if I like leased or like sold, licensed my shapes. It even bothers me that like Picasso might have had people painting his work for him at some point, and it's not an original, like it just like, ah, it really gets me because I feel like the art should come from the artist. And I understand there's some ceramic brands that are brands and more power to them. They're really smart business people. And maybe I'm just not a smart business person, but I just, I want to be creating the work. There is a big division as well. And I've definitely spoken to a lot of people who follow their passion or their creative outlet and turn it into a business. And then it becomes 70% business and they're not doing what they actually love to do is that thing you just said, you might not be a smart business person, but if you kind of went that way, then maybe you wouldn't really be doing the work that you do. I, I mean, I could totally start a business just helping ceramicists market themselves, sell their work online, get into shops. I can do all that stuff very naturally, and artists hate doing that work. And I'm fine doing it for myself, and I'm always encouraging other amazing artists to like, get going. You should sell your work in these stores. Like your work is amazing. And they're like, ah, I just can't even take a photo of it to put it online or to even, how do you approach someone? I'm like, you just do it. You go, you like, you believe in your work enough to, to try to sell it. And a lot of artists don't even want to deal with that part of it. You're right. allowed to like your own work. Yeah. You really are. <laughs> and people aren't always just being nice. Sometimes you have to accept a compliment and believe in your work. And I was accused uh, in the past year from a, another ceramicist of being full of myself. She thinks I'm really sweet, but she said, you know, I thought for a little bit you were 
you know, full of yourself. And I said, um, she's like, but now, you know, you're the same sweet person I met a year ago and I don't think you're full of yourself. And I said, no, I believe in my work and I'll always stand behind it. And I will only make work that I love because we're in control of what we do. Why would you not make work that you love? And she's like, well, that's true. And I'm like, if you think me being passionate and like having faith in my own work means I'm full of myself, then so be it. I don't really care because I'm just going to keep making work that I love. I, I don't want to be self-centered and ignorant of people around me. That's awful. But I feel like everybody should be doing work they love and be able to accept the compliment and keep moving. Because Americans, I don't know if you've noticed, if you compliment them, they're self-deprecating almost immediately after. You compliment someone's work, they try to divert attention and say, no, but you're doing this great thing. They never just stop and accept it and say, thank you. I do love what I'm doing. Like, thank you for recognizing that. That's great. And it, it's, it's so sad. And there's artists who never like their work or never think it's to the level it should be at. And that's so sad to me. It does force them to a higher level. But I feel like making the art is the enjoyable part and if you're not hopefully they're enjoying the process because when they don't like what the outcome is that's really sad to me because they have the control to make whatever they want to make yeah that's so interesting it reminds me of an interview that we did in new york a couple of years ago with an artist called judith bernstein bernstein and she at the time was 72 and for 25 years no one would show her work until she was in her mid-60s did now she has a permanent exhibition at MoMA, like it's stuff all over Europe. And we were like, why would you keep doing this if for 25 years people are refusing to show your work? And she's like, I just knew it was good. And at 66, now she's just, it blew up. That's awesome. Yeah. It's she nice. had the confidence. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that I worked for so many years for other people. My dad always said when I was young, he's like, Becky, you better be the boss when you grow up because you're not going to do well working for anybody else. <laughs> he knew. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he was right. It just took me so many years to have the confidence to not have a cookie cutter job, a nine to five that was reliable and stable. I really think the experience part is key because people love to praise the sort of 21 year old prodigy that's like, you know, doing something out of this world, but no one, no one's looking at the people who are 30, 40, 50, 60, who are successful. And the only reason they're successful is because they went through all these things and these experiences that allow them to be, we have so much pressure on ourselves to be like, Oh, but I'm this age and I haven't done anything yet. And you're so young. Right. So young. I say that to people who break up with someone and they're in their thirties. And I'm like, my grandma outlived three husbands and a boyfriend and she's 92. Give me a break. This is not it for you. Get over it and realize that our life hopefully will be long and this is not it. And when, and I've met people in their sixties who were opening yoga studios and changing their vocation completely. And that's why I, I call bullshit on anybody who in their thirties or forties thinks like, I'm so lost. I don't know what to do. Figure something out. Like, it's okay. You're allowed to switch gears. I completely switched gears. I went from a nine to five life where everything was like pathed out for me to a life where I have no idea where the money is coming from every month, but somehow I make it work and I hustle. I've always hustled. Even when I was in doing engineering, I did ceramics and sold ceramics. I 
filled in at gift shops that my friends owned. I, I always had a couple irons in the fire. It comes super naturally to me. And I, now, now it's, I live off that. I hand model. I, what the hell is that about? <laughs> I have a lot of. I always wanted to hand model. No, what? Why would anybody want to hand model? The no only idea. hand modeling reference I have is when George in Seinfeld is. A yeah, house. exactly. So how did you even do that? I think it started here because Your hands are amazing, by the way. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Yeah. I can accept the compliment. Yeah. I believe it. Uh, I have a lot of photographer friends, and some of them do uh, food photography. And I know food stylists. It kind of just was a, I made it known to my friends that I wanted to do it. So when they needed someone, they thought of me. And I've randomly been doing it. I'm even in the app store under the finance category. Because a friend was shooting for iTunes. And she knew I hand modeled. So I finally got to hand model for her. I mean, it's not like a huge paying job or anything. But like, I, I live knowing that like, Hopefully something like that will come up every couple months that it's the easiest most fun work You can't help anybody on set because your hands are the product. Oh my god. And you just sit there I'm in, <laughs> But I also do art department stuff for friends uh, You know painting sets or prepping work or finding props like treasure hunting around the city finding things for commercial jobs. I Just say yes to most things I like, I like really short-term work that I won't be obligated to do. I've really like <laughs> stepped away from being obligated to do anything. It really is unsettling to me. It was the worst case scenario thinking I'm going to have to go back to engineering someday to make money. That was my last resort is doing a nine to five. Yeah. And now I feel like I won't have to go that direction hopefully ever again. Is there a piece of advice that you would give to somebody just in life? I mean, it's cheesy to say, like, do what you love. But, I mean, if you love doing something, you're probably going to do a great job at it, hopefully. Find a way to make a living from it. I was always afraid to make a living off my ceramics because I thought it would turn into a job that I didn't like. found ways to still make it mine. I would just say, don't be afraid of having no money. You always figure something out. Hopefully, like it'll, it'll work out. But if you're in a job that kills your soul, get out of it because we only have this one, one time here that we know of. And why would you waste a second doing things you don't believe in or they are killing you inside? Just get out, just change. Anything's possible. Wise words. (laughs) And then just to finish off, I know you're not a planner, but is there, <laughs> is there something in the year ahead or something that you're looking forward towards? I don't even know. Not really. I just want to keep doing what I'm doing and make a living. Like, that's, that's my goals right now. Like, just make it work. I love everything that's going on. And I just want to do more of it.